I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. Taking a break for a couple of weeks from Daniel, but now we're back to it. And uh, the first part of Daniel uh, we saw was uh, a, a number of episodes from the life of Daniel and his friends who were living in exile. The nation of Israel had been conquered by the, the, the Assyrians, and then 150 years later the Babylonians came in and conquered the nation of Judah and conquered Jerusalem and sent the, God's people into exile. Uh, into the nation, a lot of the leaders and the young uh, young men uh, who were promising and, and of royal families and, and other uh, gifted young men like Daniel and his friends were shipped to Babylon to learn those ways, to learn the ways of the Babylonians, to become integrated into that culture. And so Daniel uh, is living there, and what we see in Daniel's life is a faithfulness to God in a, in a country where uh, people don't worship his God. In fact, the opposite is true, the opposite values from what Daniel has. And time and again, we see Daniel faithfully living for God in a hostile environment. We want to look at what he did there and learn from that and uh, equip ourselves for living in a, in a difficult time, a difficult era in a, in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Christianity. What can we learn from the book of Daniel? about doing that. And today we uh, come to the second half of the book that uh, incorporates a number of visions. And today we're going to look at particularly uh, a prayer that Daniel utters as he studies God's Word. So let's look now at Daniel 9, uh, beginning in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Hahasuerus, by descent, a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, and pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. 
as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war." Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word this morning to us. Now as I said before, as we've approached the book of Daniel, we've approached it from the angle of what it means to live for Christ in a hostile environment. And Daniel lived in that foreign land that worshipped foreign gods, but he was able to remain faithful, uh, faithful to the Lord, but he was also a beacon of God's glory to the Babylonians and then to the Persians afterwards. And the chapter before us today shows us that living for Christ in a hostile environment requires prayer. And Daniel prayed to the Lord. And we've already seen in our study of Daniel, that he was uh, a man of prayer. In Daniel 2, you'll remember when Nebuchadnezzar demanded that his wise men tell him his dream and the interpretation of the dream, uh, otherwise he would kill them all. 
Uh, and Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were among those people. Uh, he he uh, goes to his friends and says, look, we've got to pray. We've got to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. And, of course, they prayed about it, and God revealed to him uh, the, the, not only the dream, but the interpretation of it, of, it, of, it as, of it as well. And Daniel gives credit to God when he approaches Nebuchadnezzar and tells him of this. God revealed it to him so that he could reveal it to, 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 Dan, to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And then in Daniel 6, we see Daniel again at prayer. Uh, this time, Nebuchadnezzar has set up a statue and said, nobody can uh, pray to any god except through me, through, by a treaty, through this idol that he set up. And it says there that when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, this order that when you hear the sound uh, of the music being played that you would bow down to this idol, when he knew that document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows uh, in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. That's important. As he had done his practice three times a day, in his upper room, praying towards Jerusalem. So Daniel was a man of prayer. And here at the end of the exile, we find Daniel once again turning his face to the Lord, his God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So Daniel was very much a man of prayer. He didn't simply rely upon his skill and his gifts, which he had many. Uh, God had gifted him with knowledge and with wisdom and understanding and the ability to interpret dreams, as we saw in the earlier chapters of Daniel. But he is, he is, his life is marked by a continued dependence upon God expressed in prayer. If we're going to survive uh, as believers and, and be beacons of light as Daniel was in this hostile environment in which we live, we need to be people of prayer. And I've given us four things that we can learn about prayer from this passage today. The first we see the foundation of prayer, God's promises. You'll notice that the passage begins with a time stamp. It says here that uh, it was in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus. Uh, that is when he uh, perceived these things that he perceives and, and he lifts up his prayer. What is indicated here is that there was a regime change. The Babylonians are out, you remember Belshazzar, he was the last ruler there, the son of Nabonidus, the last ruler of, of Babylon, uh, saw the handwriting on the wall, and that was the last night of the reign of the Babylonians. And the Persians come in, and uh, they are in charge now. And so there's this regime change. And it says that in the first year of the reign of the Persians, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah, and God told Jeremiah that this exile that he was going through, that the people of God was going through, was going to last 70 years, and it was going to end at the time when the Babylonians uh, were defeated. And here Daniel sees that it's that time. The Babylonians are out. The Persians are in. Uh, it's been a long time. 
that he's been living in exile since he was a young man and now he's, he's up in years. He's reading Jeremiah 25 that says, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. And then chapter 29, Thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, which is Jerusalem. So Daniel knows that God has promised these things and and he's going to do these things of restoring his people to their homeland and breaking the reign of the Babylonians and he's already seen that happen. And so what does he do in response to this? What does he do in response to this understanding that God is about to do some great things? Well, he, he falls on his knees and he goes to prayer. Now, the question I, that, that seems to be begging to be asked here is, if God has already promised to do this great thing, and, and you see the wheels are already in motion, then why does Daniel ask God to do it? If God already knows, if God has already planned to do something, then, then why pray? Why pray about it? And that is a very, very good question. And it's an important question for us to reflect upon. Because, as Sinclair Ferguson puts it, the basis of all prayer is what God has promised to do. We tend to think of prayer uh, as us uh, asking God for things, asking God for this or that or, or something for ourselves. Uh, but we, we don't often think of it as praying what God has promised to do. In fact, that is actually uh, a better definition of prayer. That is what true prayer is all about, praying God's promises. Now that seems to not make sense. You know, if God has promised and he's going to do it, then why do you need to pray about it? Uh, Doug Kelly wrote a great book that uh, is very helpful uh, with this question, and he asked, the title of the book is, If God Already Knows, Why Pray? And And this is what he says, Whatever we do, Wherever we are, all through life, God has his plan. One of the ways he carries out his plan is to activate our personality so that we will pray and then take intelligent action, preach, witness, and serve. In all of it, his plan comes more and more to fruition. His goal begins to be reached through both the prayers and the actions of his people. It is because God planned it to be this way that these two truths... God has a sovereign plan and a believer has genuine power in prayer to effect the supernatural. They are not, in fact, contradictory, but come together in wonderful harmony. People who catch the vision of this glorious sovereign God who has destined the prayers of his people to be a means of executing his unspeakably wonderful decrees have a way of transforming the world. They have the assurance that the power of God himself can be brought to bear. In other words, God has his purposes. He's going to carry them out, but he carries them out through the prayers of his people. I'll give you another example uh, in in Scripture. Ezekiel uh, 36. In that chapter, 
uh, God tells Ezekiel that, God, that he's going to, he's talking about the same era, that he's going to restore the people of God. He's going to give them back their homeland. He's going to vindicate his holiness. He's going to uh, clean, cleanse the people of God. He's going to give them a new heart, a new spirit. Uh, I'm going to remove this heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will make the fruit of the trees and the increase of the field abundant. You will never again suffer the disgrace of famine. Uh, On the day that I cleanse you, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt and the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of uh, being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And the ruined cities will be fortified and inhabited. And then God underlines it and he says, I am the Lord, I have spoken, I will do it. And in the very next verse, he says, This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. To increase their people like a flock. He says, I'm going to do this. I have spoken, I am the Lord, and I'm going to do it, and I'm also going to let my people ask me to do it. And that's the wonderful thing about prayer. God stirs up his people to ask for his will, and then he delivers it, and God is glorified. God is, God is exalted. The people of God see that their God cares for them, and he does a great thing for them. There's an old uh, gospel song that says it this way. But as an eagle stirreth her nest so that her young ones will have no rest, God in his own mysterious ways stirs up his people to watch and pray. And that's what God does. When, when God is about to do a great thing, he stirs people up to pray. And that's what he's doing with Daniel. Daniel is being stirred up to pray because God is about to do a great thing for the people of God. But it must be according to God's word. We need to pray God's promises. Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, the first part controls the second part. We like the part that says, Ask whatever you will. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for me. Lord, give me that Ferrari. I would really like one. Well, That's not what God has promised in his word. Uh, Maybe he will give me a Ferrari. I don't know. I don't think I could afford the insurance on it, so I don't really want one. But the thing that controls it, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, we understand God's word, what he's promised, what he's doing in the world, and we pray according to that. That that word abides in us. It becomes a part of us, and, and it and it controls what we desire so that we want the things of God and therefore we pray according to his will. And that's how God works through our prayers. When you pray God's promises from his word, you are on solid ground. Your desires, if it is in accordance with God's word, it will be done. So the question, when you pray God's promises from his words, the question is not if, but when. It's just a matter of time. Is the timing right? That's all, uh, that's the only question there is. We may say, Lord Jesus, we want you to come back. We want you to return. 
And I know that he's going to say yes to that because he's going to come back. The question is not if he's going to come back. The question is when is he going to come back? Lord, you've promised to build your church. The question is not if he's going to build his church. The question is when is he going to build his church? And, of course, the when part comes when you see people start praying about it. That's when it was going to happen because God's going to stir his people up to pray. So I want to invite everybody to pray. As Jesus said, we have not because we ask not. Pray God's promises. Pray them for yourself. Pray them for the church. And and we gather every Sunday night. I want to invite everybody to come this evening at 6 o'clock. We'll be right here praying. Praying not just for our own little needs, but praying for God's kingdom, praying for his church, looking forward to what God has promised to do to build his church. We want to see him build it right here uh, at, this, at this building uh, with First Pres Biloxi, but also along the Gulf Coast and throughout the entire world. We pray. God is stirring up people to pray, and I, and I hope that he'll stir you up to come and pray and join us. I know everybody can't come out uh, on Sunday night, but pray anyway. Pray wherever you are. Pray daily. Uh, Pray without ceasing, as Paul told the Thessalonians. So that's, that's the, the first point, the foundation of prayer. And really, the, the second point, the goal of prayer, is important to note as well. God's glory is the goal of prayer. Now, the people of God, the, the, the Hebrews, were different from the people around them. When people from other nations were conquered by a foreign nation... Uh, they tended to abandon their own gods and worship the gods of the conquering conquering nation. And the rationale was that, well, if we got beat, then uh, our gods must be not as strong as their gods. And therefore, why would we want to worship this weak god? Let's worship their strong gods. And so uh, people would tend to throw aside their own gods and worship other gods. But Daniel, by his example, shows us that he was not that way. He understood the reason why they were in the predicament that they were in. It was because of their own sinfulness, their own brokenness, their own rebellion against God and his promises. It wasn't God's fault that they had gotten conquered. It was their own fault. God is a covenant-keeping God. He promised to be their God and that they would be his people. And if they disobeyed, then they were going to get sent into exile. He, he sent prophets to tell them. That's why Daniel repeatedly says, we did not listen to the prophets. Uh, we, we, re, we rebelled against their word and we, we wouldn't have anything to do with what they were saying to us. And now we're in this situation. They had not abandoned their God, but continued to, to learn the lessons that their God was teaching them. They, they saw it as their own sinfulness and rebellion and they saw that they were the ones who let God down. And that's why Daniel expresses repentance through, throughout this, this prayer that we've read. Now, some people pray to God, and they, they, they want God to do certain things for them. And then when God doesn't come through, they abandon the faith altogether in their time of crisis, and it proves that they're only self-interested. Now, God, I will follow you as long as you do this for me. And that's not... Christianity, that's a, that's a false religion, a false understanding. That's uh, using God. That makes you out to be actually the God. I'm calling the shots here, God, and, 
and, and God becomes a puppet for us. Do my will, God, and then I will do what you want. And that is not how God operates. God is not working for me, so I'm not going to bother. That's the wrong way to go about it. Daniel doesn't say that in his prayer because he's not self-interested. He's God-interested. God-interested. He's not egocentric. He's theocentric. Daniel was not interested in his own needs and comforts, but in God's glory. Look at verse 16 uh, in following. Notice all the times that he says, your. He's asking God to cleanse them and forgive them and and restore Jerusalem and the people of God to that town, uh, to that city. Uh, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, and your holy hill. Because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Uh, Now, he goes on in verse 17, For your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Verse 18, The city that is called by your name, that's what he's worried about. Verse 19, Delay not for your own sake. It's not for our sake or for my sake. Daniel prays, but for your sake, because your city and your people are called by your name. So see, Daniel is not appealing to his own needs. He's appealing to God's glory. He isn't out for personal vindication, but God's vindication. He wants the people of God and the nation of Israel to be restored because it will make God look good. And at this point, the world thinks that that God has abandoned his people. Well, if God hadn't abandoned them, then they wouldn't be conquered. That's their rationale. But verse 16 notes that Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. A byword, that means a taunt, a reproach, or a shame. The people around were seeing the plight of God's people and said, well, God has abandoned them, and their God's a joke. And that's why Nebuchadnezzar, remember, he, he took some of the... Uh, the articles from the temple and put it in his own temple uh, for his own God, and that's a way of showing that, yeah, we're, my God's better than your God. See, the stuff that you use to worship him by, serve my God now. My God's better than yours. And so that was a, a, a mockery of God. And the question for us is, are we concerned that God's name is defamed because of the state of the church today? If we're concerned about that, we need to pray about that. Pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, God, hallowed be your name. That's what we desire. That's, a, that's a motivated by God's glory, wanting God to receive the glory. And we're praying according to his word because that's what it's all about. And in fact, that's what we were created for, God's glory. Our chief purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And when our, when our desires are biblical desires, they always tend towards God's glory and the building up of his church, of his kingdom on earth. Not just our own needs. Are your prayers marked by self-interest uh, or with God's interests? And I want us to, as we gather to pray Sunday night or whenever we gather to pray, to always be sure. Yes, we pray for the needs in our congregation and other, others' needs around our, our city and our country. But also we want to always remember to pray 
for the church, for, for the building up of God's kingdom and for the glory of his name, that all people would bow before him and know him and know the grace of God. So pray, let us pray. And pray, pray not out of self-interest, but out of God's interest. And now we see the motivation for prayer, God's faithfulness. Just rather quickly, you'll notice in the prayer that he mentions the, the exodus. He goes back and he remembers, in times past, God, you've delivered your people. You delivered them during the time of exodus from Egypt, under the time of Moses. And in verse 18, the latter part of it, he says, We do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. So the motivation, the underlying motivation for praying is, and for asking these things is because God has been merciful and faithful to them in the past. He's promised to do so again, and that's his character. So Daniel prays with the knowledge that God is faithful, is a faithful and merciful God. He's faithfully delivered them in the past. He will do so again and again. And we have a deeper reason to believe this. We've had a, a greater demonstration of deliverance than Daniel had. Daniel had the exodus. We have Jesus Christ. He came to earth, sacrificed himself in our place that we might have a relationship with God. We are children of God and we have access to the throne of grace. And, and that, that great price has been paid to allow us this relationship, this privilege of prayer, along with many, many other blessings. So yes, we have a merciful God, and that should motivate us to prayer uh, because he is ready to show mercy to any who call upon him. Stephen Curtis Chapman has a, a great song that I really enjoy, and it encourages me in prayer. And one part he says, I stand before the great eternal throne, the one that God himself is seated on, and I've been invited as a son. I've been invited to come and Believe the unbelievable and receive the inconceivable and see beyond my wildest imagination. Lord, I come with great expectations. Do we come before the Lord in prayer with great expectations, knowing that if we pray according to his word and for his glory, that he's going to do these things? Or do we spurn the gift of God that he so freely and, and, and at great expense has given to us? Pray. And finally, the hope of prayer. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot that can be said about the, the weeks, and I'm not going to go into detail about that. I don't think it's very crucial to what's being said here. Uh, it depends on where you're coming from and your theological understanding of prophecy and that. But I just want to say very simply about that passage, about the, the weeks, that it's referring to a time in the future. Uh, it's referring to Christ, it's referring to the destruction of the, of the temple in 70 A.D., and it's even looking beyond that to the return of Christ uh, and, and the end times. The important thing is that, that Daniel's prayer is answered. Gabriel speeds to him. Uh, he says that you're deeply loved, Daniel, and we wanted to give you an answer right away. And I think that's true of every believer. We're deeply loved. God's demonstrated that by sending his son to die for us. And he hears our prayer. As we said before, it's not a matter of if, but when, when we pray according to his word. And so Daniel is, is praying these things, and he, he gets this answer that really doesn't uh, necessarily answer his prayer. It's going to happen, what he's praying about. But it just expands his vision and his understanding of what God 
is doing. Daniel's prayer is answered with a fresh vision of God's ultimate purpose. You know, God is doing something greater than he imagined. His hope is expanded to something greater, to the ultimate victory of God over evil. Daniel was uh, interested in the end of the 70 years, but God's saying, look, you look beyond that. Look to beyond the 70 years to the 70 weeks. And he's kind of like a, a person who has climbed a mountaintop thinking he's going to reach the pinnacle. And just about when he gets to the top of one mountain, he sees that there's a further pinnacle ahead, something higher, something further in the distance. And that's what, what Daniel is seeing there, something greater, a greater deliverance, a, 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 a greater hope to hang his hat upon, to live by. And we need to remember that in, in our praying, in our living for Christ in a hostile world. What is our hope? Daniel looked for a, a, a deliverance within his time. It was going to come. But God's reminding him that there's something even greater than that. And we need to always remember that. Yes, we pray for temporal deliverances and we pray for our problems to be solved. But our hope lies in something even greater than that. We have a, 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 a hope, an eternal hope, an anchor for the soul in these troubled times in which we live. And, and that's all I want to say about those 70 weeks. Maybe we'll look at it a little bit more next week. But for now, for now uh, let's just conclude by saying, if we want to be effective Christians, like Daniel was, and in, a, in an effective church in these difficult times in which we live, we need to pray the promises of Scripture with a goal being God's glory, the building up of his kingdom, motivated by the great mercy that he's shown to us and continues to show to us, and with a, with, always with an eye towards that future hope looking forward to that day, not just living for the present, not just living for our own needs, but interested in what God is doing ultimately in the world and having that perspective. And that's what we gather here today. Worship expands our perspective. It helps us remember it's not all about us. We're not the center of the universe. God is. Uh, it's his kingdom, his plan. We're, we're part of it. He's, he's invited us in to be included in that. What a great privilege it is. So yes, let us grab hold of this privilege of prayer and the opportunity that we have to be effective through our prayers in the world, to change the world through praying and asking God to do what he's promised to do. Let's pray together.